You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning to the sleep-loving people. Right? I was trying to think of a nice way to say that, and I, it wasn't coming quick enough to me. So, right? Uh, yeah, because I didn't get any sleep. So, um, Hey, how many people are super excited for fall? Yeah, that's where you are. There was none of you in first service. How many people want six more weeks of summer? It's pretty even right here. Pretty even. I don't know what I'm going to do with you guys. Like summer people, come on. Keep praying for a little more. We need a little more summer, right? I'm not quite ready just yet. My wife, here's the cra- here's how, girls, you'll appreciate this. My wife gets excited for seasons, n- has absolutely nothing to do with the weather. It has to do with it's a new, ex- new excuse to decorate differently. <laughs> right? Um, lucky me, that means there are boxes to move. Yes! Right? Hey, as you get in here this morning and we get started, there are connection cards on your seat. And if you are a regular attender with us, then you know what those cards are for. Um, you don't have to put all your info on it if you're uh, with us all the time, but what really helps is if whoever's here in your family or your spouse or your kids, just write their names on there for us. Um, and if you're new with us, um, we'd love for you to fill those cards out, give us all your info and digits and all that stuff. We will not pester you or annoy you or do any weird, creepy big brother stuff. We actually just genuinely care about the people that come to our church. So what that helps us do Like, I'll just be super obvious with you. Like, there's no bait and switch. What this helps us do is if you're missing for a while or we notice that your cards haven't come in, it helps us know who to call and check on. Just like you would call and check on a friend of yours that you love and care about and hadn't seen in a while, you'd be like, hey, what's going on? I hope they're okay. That's the heart behind it. That's that's what it's all about. So we really appreciate everybody turning those cards in. And then on the bottom of the card in the colored section, there's spots for you to kind of talk about different things you're interested in, you want information on, or you need help with, or you want to get connected or involved in. That's what that's all about. And then on the back of the card is a place to put your prayer requests. And so as a team, we pray for the prayer requests that you guys turn in every week, Monday mornings. That's the first thing we do. It's how we start our week as a team and as a staff. Every week as we start by um, following through and, and caring about the things that you guys share with us. So we, we sure appreciate that. Um, now, uh, tithe and offering, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. You can do the Push Pay app, which is in your bulletin and up on the screen. You can uh, drop it in the boxes in the back by the back door as you're leaving. And then also at the end of service, there's going to be buckets that get passed. The main reason we do that is it gives you plenty of time to fill out your connection cards so you don't feel rushed. And so you can drop those cards in at the end of the service or your tithe and offering in there is fine too. Okay? So... How many people feel like this is a time of year where all of a sudden your life went from summer to busy? Anybody that like really busy schedule right now? Did it, okay, students, like let's be honest, did anybody just realize this week that you way overcommitted? Are you said <laughs> Couple, okay. Um, hang in there, we're there for you. 
And the rest of us, a lot goes on. It's that time of year where uh, parents are excited because their kids are going back to school. If they haven't started, they're starting next week. And they're getting excited because they're going back to school. But it's a double-edged sword because no one told me when I had kids that I was going to continue to be in school. Like when you have kids, they leave and go to school and they come home and you have to be their teacher all night. Like I had no idea I was signing up for like 29 years of education. Um, so think that through before you have kids, all right? Okay, announcement stuff we've got coming up. 101 is our kind of our membership, joining the team class. It's where you find out everything you need to know about us as a church, doctrine, what we believe, what we agree to agree on, what we agree to disagree on, and all of that stuff. It's a fun, interactive class. You can ask questions and discussion. It's not just a talking head at you. Um, we do need you to sign up for it if you're going to... Uh, uh, go to it because we feed you, and if you need child care, we'll provide child care, and that helps us know how to be ready. So that's coming up here pretty, qu pretty, pretty quick. A lot of words today in September. All right, next one up is uh, Women's Conference. We've got coming up in September as well over at the Moscow campus. All of us, uh, all, all of the real-life uh, campuses, and then also there's going to be people from all around the community that are going to attend this, ladies anyways. Um, and it's going to be a really cool conference that's going to focus, as you can understand, on perseverance, like hanging in there and sticking with your faith through the struggles of life. And so um, I really encourage all of you uh, ladies to go to that. And all the information is online on the website about how to sign up. Okay, next thing is the college cookout is today. Uh, luckily, uh, there is an indoor part of the cookout. Um, so, because as it always works out, right? You plan an awesome barbecue and it's like 62 degrees. Welcome to the Palouse. Um, so that's today. Uh, Tyler is right up here in the front row. He's going to be out there uh, on the table out to the left with football helmets on it. If you've got questions about getting connected in a college group, if you've got uh, questions about the cookout or all that stuff, go find Tyler. Um, I, m I mentioned last week that he was the newest dad in town. He's not anymore. There's newer dads now. But he does have a beautiful young daughter that's still in Spokane with his wife in NICU. And so we're praying for her, but we're also praying for Tyler because he's got this dual lifestyle going where he's like trying to live out of the hospital cafeteria and waiting room and then trying to come back here and get college ministries going and all that stuff. So if you see him and he looks a little glazed over, just slap him and then ask him a question. Okay, for real, no. Next thing up, men's breakfast uh, that's coming up this weekend. If you are a man, grunt. <laughs> Thank you. And you love food, you should go to the men's breakfast. Uh, it's a fun place to get together, eat. We get together with a bunch of guys and uh, spur each other on cool stuff. All right. feel like an announcement machine. Now, we got that sermon deal that I'm supposed to do. You guys ready for a sermon? It sort of felt a little bit like summer or fall, like you were sort of undecided, right? Is this the undecided group? Are you guys ready for a little thunder from the, from the word this morning? Huh? All right. All right. So here's the deal. We are in what is about the middle of this series on the Sermon on the Mount. 
and we have covered a lot of ground. And so before we jump into what we're doing this morning, I want to do a quick little recap. I want to help us remember kind of the context for this teaching. So it helps us kind of sink in and settle in and imagine ourselves in the story and understanding where Jesus is at, what's going on with the disciples. So what had happened is Jesus had begun his public ministry. He had started to be out publicly teaching, preaching, going to the synagogues throughout Galilee and teaching about the good news of the kingdom. And as he taught about the good news of the kingdom, in tandem with that, he started to do lots of miracles and amazing things. And he healed people, it says, of every affliction and disease. And as you can imagine, as he did this, it created quite a stir. Like if, if you were aware of someone in your circle of friends who didn't have a hand, and then they said, hey, you gotta check out this video. This guy took a video of this thing. He came over and my hand appeared and it's on film, right? There'd be like six billion views on Facebook videos like overnight, right? The whole internet would blow up with like, we gotta see it. That's what was going on in his day and age. Like the word was spreading that these amazing miracles were going on and there was all of this tension around, is he who he says he is? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really healing people? Some people were just purely interested because they had been sick their whole life, right? So there were these huge crowds gathering around him to see who he was and what he was all about with all different kinds of mixed motives. And in the, in the context of that, Jesus retreats to a hillside by the Sea of Galilee amongst all of these different variety of people that were interested in him for different reasons, and he sits down on the side of a hill to start teaching his disciples. And as he started to teach his disciples, there's this assortment of lessons or topics that he goes through that we kind of collected in the Bible. They're called the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've been going through those lessons or those teachings that he was doing with his disciples. And we started way back several weeks ago talking about the Beatitudes. And we talked about what those meant and what they were. And we talked about salt and light. And we talked about anger and what to do with anger and the difference between uh, a, a, you know, the idea of wanting to murder versus being angry at someone. We talked about the desire for revenge or retaliation and how to handle that. We talked about divorce. We talked about lust. We talked about giving to the needy. As you're getting a deal here, like there is some meat in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, like some really brass tacks, tangible, something for you today kind of stuff. So if you missed any of that stuff, jump online, liferotp.com. Watch, you can either watch the video or just listen to it. But if you missed some of that stuff, dig in and listen to it because there is some really good teaching and unpacking what Jesus was teaching his disciples. And so this morning, we're going to get into a couple of really important things that he is uh, going to teach his guys this morning. The, the passage that we're going to dig into has Jesus teaching about specifically prayer and forgiveness. He's going to talk to him about prayer and forgiveness. And so we're going to dig into it this morning and see what Jesus has to say as he's teaching his disciples in that environment and how he kind of unpacks it for him. So let's start with that. In Matthew 6, it starts like this. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
excuse me, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is breaking down for him right out of the gate. There's two different types of people that he's identifying for his guys to not pray like. Right? He's given them two don't do it like this examples right out of the gate. So the first one is the hypocrites, and the other one is the pagans. Well, the hypocrites were the Jews of the day, predominantly the Jewish men that would go and pray in the synagogue and the Jewish leaders. Um, Traditionally, long before Jesus and up through Jesus' time and after, there was a noonday prayer called the Amidah prayer. If you Google Dr. Google and ask him what the Amidah prayer is, you'll get far more than you ever needed to learn about an Amidah prayer. But it's essentially a, a, a prayer that involves some specific components and specific elements. There's some variations of it or varieties of it, but they're all pretty similar. Some are longer, some are shorter. And what would happen is around noon, noonday, the Jewish men would come to the synagogue and they would gather together in groups of 12 and they would pray this prayer standing. It's, off, it's often called the standing prayer also. And so they would stand in groups of 12 and they would pray the words of this Amidah prayer. And like a lot of things, when there are guys involved, I know this sort of shocks some people, but sometimes guys are a little competitive and dumb, right? That, like throughout history, men are not exempt from those issues. So what would happen is they would gather together in these groups of 12, and what could happen is one guy would start to be just a little bit louder than the guys next to him. And then another guy in another group next door over here would be a little bit louder than those guys next to him. And it would be sort of unhealthily drawing attention to themselves so that people could hear how pious they were, how eloquent their speech was. And it started to create a culture of this fakeness this praying to be heard, not being real and and like actually talking to God. And so even outside of the noonday prayers, it would start a culture where they would start to see guys that would pray at the synagogue loudly and really exaggerate their words or they would pray on the street corners and they would give these big prayers that sounded like they were supposed to be talking to God, but really it looked a lot more like a sermon looking like this, right? Like they, they were praying for the people around them to hear them so that they would think that they were smart or they think that they were super religious or pious or think that they were somehow closer to God. And Jesus is warning his guys right out of the gate. He's like, when you pray, don't do it like that. And he gives them this warning. He says, when those people pray like that, they've already received their full reward. He's like, here's the deal. They were praying for the benefit of people around them so that the other people would hear them and notice them. Guess what? Mission accomplished. That's it. That's all they got. Everybody heard them. No response from God. He's like, they've already got their full reward. They were heard. He's like, don't pray like that. And then he goes on to say, there's another group of people that I want you to not copy or emulate. He goes, those are the pagans. And in some Bibles, it translates to Gentiles, that same word. And it's the people who didn't fear God, that didn't follow God or know God. He says, don't pray like the pagans. 
Uh, this summer, we just got to go to Turkey. Uh, I did along with some other folks from our church and Aaron, and we got to go to a bunch of places throughout Asia Minor, and we got to see uh, temples to every imaginable kind of God and the ruins to uh, all these different types of gods and all of these weird ways that people would worship the gods. Some of them are super gross and different. And it's like, now you look at it and go, how could they do that? Like, it didn't make any sense. That's disgusting, right? Like, that's supposed to be worship. One of the things that was frequent is that they would, people that worshiped these other gods at these temples would do these chants or uh, these just repetitive statements, these mantras where they would just repeat the same word or phrase over and 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 over forever, like hours. And sometimes they would go for like all afternoon, all evening or days to prove like how committed they were to the God or to somehow feel like they were gonna force that God's hand to have to obey their, them or answer their prayer or that they could prove to the God that they were worthy of their prayer being answered. But it was just weird. And Jesus says, don't be like them. They're like these people, these crazy people that just go on babbling nonsense, Right? Every time I've ever read that, I always get a picture of dumb and dumber. So like when you're doing your Bible study and you got your Bible open and you kind of close your eyes for a second and you think of a scene from dumb and dumber, you have to question your commitment to your Bible study. <laughs> so I think of the scene from dumb and dumber where you got Lloyd and Harry and the Muttmobile with the bad guy in the middle of them and they're driving down the road and they're all sardined in there really close and the big heavy guy in the middle and Lloyd looks over at him and he says, do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? To which somebody says, thank you. Right? Here's where I go, okay? Follow. Like, I know I just lost you for a second. I imagine God as the guy in the middle of the muttmobile when he hears these babbling prayers that make no sense, just being like, oh, when are they going to stop? Like, just make it, right? Like, it helps me. I don't know if it helps you at all, but it helps me. So Jesus is telling his guys, don't pray like them. Don't pray like them. And then he goes on to say, when you do pray, pray like this. And we're going to look at it. And it's a prayer that a lot of us are really familiar with. It's a common, it's been recited and repeated throughout church history for ages and ages and ages. What is important to understand is this isn't a prayer that Jesus invented. This wasn't something that Jesus just kind of pulled out of his Jesus prayer pocket and went, here's a Jesus prayer. That's not what's going on. What's going on is Jesus is actually just gonna share with them what most scholars agree is just a condensed version. This is uh, Cliff Notes of the Amidah prayer. So this is a prayer that was already traditionally being prayed. The Jewish men were familiar with the prayer and it was prayed and there was a few variations of it. But Jesus comes along and says, when, I, when you pray, pray like this. And he basically says the same type of prayer that they already knew. And what he was trying to help them understand is it wasn't the words to the prayer that were the issue. It was the motive behind it. It was the heart behind how they were praying and what, what was in it for them, right? Here's what he told them to, to say when he said, teach them to pray. He says, pray like this. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So like hallowed isn't a word that we find on the Taco Bell menu. So that means it's not in our culture, Right? Hallowed means uh, reverent. It means holy. 
So he's saying our Father in heaven, reverent or, or holy be your name, your kingdom come. Uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For, uh, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, because we're not Amidah prayer experts, um, and we're not super familiar with this prayer that they were familiar with, one of the things that we don't catch as we read it in our modern world is that Jesus just did a mic drop thing to their prayer. We read it right now and we're like, okay, I've heard that a hundred times. Like, I, I get it, right? What we don't understand is that the Amidah prayer in no version of the past or the present at their time, version of the Amidah prayer, nowhere does it ever say anything about us forgiving sins, forgiving other people. It says stuff about um, God forgiving us, forgiving debts, but it doesn't say anything about the people forgiving sins. And for a Jewish man to hear this and to understand this, what he was saying was like starting to blow their mind a little bit. I know for us today, you're trying to go like, eh, okay, track with me, hang in there. He was messing with their mind by adding this statement at the end of this prayer that saying that when you forgive people who have sinned against you, it's directly related to your Father in heaven forgiving you when you sin against him. And the Jews would be like, wait a minute, like, Forgiving sin is God's territory. Like we know we're supposed to love our neighbor. We know we're supposed to even show mercy to our neighbor and some other stuff. But, but when it comes to forgiving of sins, that's God's business. And Jesus is turning up the heat as he has been doing through this entire teaching with his disciples, cutting to the quick, getting to the heart of things, to the motive of things. And he lays this new thing on the table for them. And he helps them, he, he's trying to help them understand that in order for them to be forgiven, it's gonna have a lot to do with their willingness to forgive the people that have offended them. Let me put it in your own head the way you would say it to yourself. Like this is you saying it, right? He, he wants you to hear this. He wants you to say this. Like your willingness to forgive the people that have sinned against you is directly related to God's willingness to forgive you when you sin against him. You gotta let it marinate a second. It's a hard one to, to map out without sounding like Dr. Seuss a little bit, like a little bit of a play on words but it's critical, critical to your relationship with other people and your relationship with God that you wrap your brain around this and you don't just drive by it as one more thing you've heard a hundred times. 
Forgiveness is a big, big, big deal. Forgiveness is a big deal. Everybody say forgiveness is a big deal. Jesus wanted his guys to catch this and understand, and he did it in a shocking way by adding it on to a prayer that they were familiar with to help them understand the significance of how forgiveness is intertwined and interrelated with, with how we forgive others is so directly related to how God forgives us. And we're gonna unpack that in a second and talk about what are the two critical elements to biblical forgiveness. There's two things. Without both of them, it's not really the kind of biblical forgiveness that Jesus teaches about here and in other places in Scripture. It's, it's something less. It's similar, but it's not biblical forgiveness. Okay, but before we do that, I got to unpack sort of some uh, disclaimer statements. Okay, I want to make sure that we talk about what forgiveness is not so that we're on the same page about some stuff. Because I want, I want you to be able to make sure we're on the same page so that when we talk about what forgiveness is, it can sink in with you without being defensive about what about this, what about this. Right now, let's talk about the what about this is. Okay, let's look at the first one. Forgiveness is not saying the wrong doesn't matter or it's trivial, right? They're two different things. You can forgive someone the way that Jesus is teaching and we're gonna break down and it's separate from whether or not the, the thing was a big deal or not. We're not saying if you forgive someone that you say their thing that they did is no big deal. Let's look at the next one. Forgiveness is not saying that what happened was okay. Similar statement, right? We're not saying that because you forgive someone who sinned against you, that you are rubber stamping what they did as okay. Like, oh, that was fine. No, it's not fine. But it doesn't mean that you can't forgive them. They're different issues. Okay, next thing. Forgiveness is not saying that there aren't consequences. The picture I always get in my head when I think about this is when, like a lot of us have seen news stories where a family member is killed or murdered by someone and a mom or a dad go to court and they're strong in their faith and they can say publicly before everybody to the person that killed their family member, they can look them in the eye and say with all sincerity that they forgive them. And it's like, whew, those are hard to hear. It's even hard to like, is it real? Do they really forgive them? How could they ever do that, right? They actually forgive them. Here's the, here's the picture of this statement. Forgiving them does not have anything to do with the consequences that that person is gonna face, right? They're still in court. There's still gonna be consequences. Forgiving them doesn't erode or change the consequences. They're different issues. Next one. Forgiveness is not saying that you don't call the police, right? If you're in a horrible situation where something is going on, where people are hurting you or people that you love or care about, you don't just turn a blind eye and say you forgive them. You, if, the, if it's an emergency, you call the police. It's, it's not like, oh, we're, as a Christian, I'm supposed to forgive everything, right? No, that's not what we're saying. Next thing. Forgiveness is not saying that you don't need to leave the situation in a similar fashion. If there's circumstances going on where someone is being abusive or hurtful or messing with you in a not right way, like we're not saying that you don't get out of that situation and could you still forgive someone? Yes, you can forgive them, but you don't just stay there and keep taking it. You tracking with me? All right, let's talk about what it is, okay? Here's a cool thing. 
Jesus talks a lot about what forgiveness is and it's something that his guys went on to continue to wrestle with. Like they heard him at the Sermon on the Mount in this teaching where he's sitting down with them. They heard him say that, that their willingness to forgive the people that sinned against them was connected to God's willingness to forgive them when they sin against him. Like they heard it, but hearing it and like letting it marinate and sink in is something different. And here we find later in the book of Matthew, later on in their progression, Peter is with Jesus and Peter is still struggling with this idea of forgiving the people that sin against him. You know, I imagine the conversation going something like, okay, Jesus, like I remember what you said. You said that I need to forgive the people that sin against me and, and like I, I believe you and, and, and I'm working on that and I wanna do it, but like, you know, something that occurred to me is how often do I have to do that? What if the person that I forgave sinned against me again? Do I still forgive them? Is there a limit? Like, do we cap out somewhere and then they're just off on their own? Like, I can, they're dead to me. Like, when do I get to they're dead to me? Like, Peter's wrestling with the practical, real, how does this play out? And the cool thing is Jesus answers Peter with a story. He's like, good question, Peter. Let me tell you a story. And the story's in Matthew 18. I'll paraphrase it for us this morning for the sake of time. It, uh, it's a story that we're, a lot of us are familiar with. It's called the parable or the story of the unforgiving servant. And so it goes like this. There's a king and the king decides to settle some debts with some people that owe him some money. And so he calls in a servant that owes him some money. And as he gets the servant before him and they're going through the details, it turns out he doesn't just owe him a little bit of money. He owes him a lot of money. I mean, so much money that it's essentially equivalent to the servant's whole year salary. So imagine everything you could ever make in a year, you're in, the, in debt that much. That's how much you owe the guy. That was the situation. And so the servant comes in before the king and the king starts to explain how he is gonna collect this debt. And before he can barely even get anything out of his mouth, the servant, he falls at his feet and he starts to beg for forgiveness. And as he begs for forgiveness, the king does something unprecedented. Something that's shocking and sort of crazy, it seemed like. The king looks down at the servant and says, you're forgiven. I hear your request, you're forgiven. Your slate is wiped clean, you owe nothing. Can you imagine the surprise of the servant as he looked up at the king trying to realize if this is a dream or he really heard that? He leaves the king, goes out, and in his travels, he bumps into a friend that he had also loaned some money to, and this friend owes him a few months' wages. He was getting behind in his bills, and he owes him some money. And the servant calls his friend out and says, you gotta pay me back that money you owe me. And of course the friend pleads for leniency and says, I don't have it, I can't pay it back right now. And he tries to work out a plan with him and the servant says, no go. And he actually has him thrown in jail. Jesus wraps this little story up for Peter by saying, this is what forgiveness looks like. This is how you're supposed to forgive your brother. He's like, I want you to learn how to forgive like the king, not like the servant. 
The king was willing to forgive, first of all. The king was willing to wipe the slate clean, to forgive him of the full debt. So the first part of biblical forgiveness, like this picture that Jesus is trying to get us to wrap our our brain around and sink our teeth into, is that somewhere in this process of being in relationship with other people and being connected, whether it's married or kids or friends or a a coworker or a teacher or a parent that you haven't ever met, like somewhere in the process of your life relationship, somebody has to be willing to draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough. I am gonna be the one that's willing to forgive. Like it's not about payback anymore. It's not about get even. It's not about hold it over their head. I actually am willing to draw a line in the sand and forgive them. Now here's the catch. A lot of times in the church world, that's the picture that you get of forgiveness and it's partially right, but it's not the whole picture. We gotta go back to the story of the king and the servant to get the rest of the story. What happened to the debt that the king forgave? Where did it go? When you ask that, people will say, I disappeared, like it just went away. He was the king. It didn't go away. He absorbed it. Like he, in the business world, we would say that he ate the debt. It was still real money that was really owed. It cost the king to forgive the servant. Cost the servant nothing to be forgiven. It cost the king. It costs the forgiver to forgive someone. One of the things we don't often talk about and we don't like to wrestle with is like we're willing to say somebody's got to be the one to draw the line in the sand and, and forgive. Like we have to be willing to say enough is enough. And, and we're like, I get it. Like I, I'm going to be that person in this situation or that relationship or this friendship. I'll be the one to be the bigger person and forgive them. But we don't understand that we also have to count the cost. Are we willing to actually eat the debt? Are we willing to actually absolve them, wipe their slate clean so that from that day forward when we see them, we don't see them with that junk and that baggage, that stuff they had done to us. It's actually clear and gone. Like we actually wipe their slate clean. Here's the hard part about forgiveness is forgiveness is hard for the forgiver. It costs for the forgiver, and it's really not fair. But Jesus is trying to get us to understand like the root of all of this, the root of all of this, the model that this comes from is from our Father in heaven who, like Paul said in Ephesians, that that through Christ, God forgave us. Through Christ, God forgave us. Like it cost God greatly. And it cost us nothing. 
but he was willing anyway. Like he could look at any one of us and know all of our stuff, all of our junk, every horrible thing we've ever done, every stupid thing we've ever done, every pile of junk we've ever made, mess we've made in situations, any lie we've ever told, every sin we've ever done, every cruddy thought we've ever had, the words we've muttered under our breath. Like it's that part of us that if you could play the movie, it'd be the most embarrassing movie in the world and you wouldn't want to be there for it. Like all of that stuff, God knows all that stuff. And in spite of it, even while we were still that way, he sent Christ to die for us and make a way for us to be forgiven at his expense. And he's trying to help his guys understand that if you're gonna go forward and represent me and we're gonna take this kingdom crashing to the earth and show people a new way, this is the way of forgiveness, that your willingness to let go of the offenses of other people and wipe their slate clean and truly forgive them is going to be really related to God's willingness to forgive you and the sins you've committed against him. It's kind of a heavy thing as you let it sink in. It's kind of like, wow, That's a big deal. And that's the thing. That's, that's sort of the weight that Jesus was trying to make sure his disciples heard. Yeah, this is a big deal. The cool thing is that because of what Christ did for us, because of his death on the cross, because of the price that he paid to cover all sin once and for all, no matter what, we have a way to receive forgiveness for every sin we've ever committed and ever will. And it costs us nothing. God was willing to pay the price. We're gonna get ready to take communion in just a second and reflect on just what we've been talking about this morning, the reason that we have the opportunity to have this forgiveness. And so as the servers get ready to pass the buckets, um, just drop your connection cards in those when they go by. And then right after that, they're gonna pass out the elements for communion. And when they pass out the communion elements, just make sure you hold on to the bread and the cup. We're gonna take communion together at the end of service. Um, if you've been gone for a while and maybe forgot, or if you're new with us, it's a good reminder. Um, at Real Life, we do what we call an open table for communion. And so all that means is this. If you want to celebrate with us the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're welcome to have communion with us. You don't have to have some special membership card. You don't have to sign up for something. Like it's just, if you love Jesus, please have communion with us. That's what we're about. So as they're passing that stuff out, Let's take a look at some implications, some things to chew on this week. First one, the way of Jesus as outlined in the Sermon on the Mount is a way rooted deep in our being, not on the surface, not an act, right? Hopefully you're starting to understand as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, like Jesus just keeps picking away at motives. What's going on behind the scenes? What's at the heart of the issue? It's not about what you look like on the outside. It's about what's going on in your heart in all of these different teachings, okay? Let's look at the next one. 
Jesus is looking for partners, true participants in bringing the kingdom. I don't know if any of you have seen, I remember the, the Donald Trump show where he like got people to be his apprentice or whatever and people are all enamored with the idea of like how awesome would it be to get to work for Trump, to get an apprenticeship with him or some famous person and you're like, whoa, what an opportunity that would be. What a huge, huge career break that would be. Like Jesus, king of the universe, is inviting you to apprentice with him to be his partner in introducing your friends and family to kingdom living. You'll never get a better opportunity. Look at next one. This partnership requires the purging of those things we hang on to, and that process is called forgiveness. That's a good phrase. It's a good picture to get in your head. Purging, right? When you think of purging and those... Uh, uh, hoarder shows, it's like they're getting rid of everything in the house they don't actually need, right? That's us. We're getting rid of all of this junk we hold against other people, all the baggage, all the things that have ever been done to us. We're willing to purge that, get rid of it, forgive other people. That's that process. It's a good picture in your mind. Let's look at the last one. Of all the things forgiveness is not, what it is, is the opportunity to let the future be full of potential and possibility undefined by the past. When we actually let go of all of the junk that's been done to us and we genuinely forgive other people and we wipe their slate clean, we have a fresh look ahead of us. We have a fresh look ahead of us, a clean perspective on what God is up to in the kingdom and how we can be a part of what he's doing in the kingdom and not sitting in our muck day in and day out remembering all the things that people should have, shouldn't have done or should have done this or shouldn't have done that, right? So this morning as we get ready to take communion, we get to remember and have the blessing of remembering that Jesus made a way for us to get that forgiveness, to, to receive forgiveness for everything that's ever gone wrong in our life, every stupid thing we've ever done or will do, that we have a king who is willing to wipe our slate clean. No strings attached. So each week when we get together, we do remember what Jesus did for us. And we remember that on that last night, he was in the upper room and he was having that last supper with his guys and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And he said that that bread represented his body. And so as often as we get together, we eat that in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup and he told them that this cup represented the, his blood shed for them, which was the, the new covenant and so every time we get together, we drink this in remembrance of him. In just a second, we're going to get up and, and finish with some worship together and just kind of let God hear what is going on in our hearts. Like just cry out to him through the words of the songs. But we're going to have people go to the sides to pray with you. And if you would like to pray with somebody or need to maybe have ask for prayer for courage to like follow through on forgiving something that's really a hard thing to let go of, go and talk to somebody about it. Invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of what you're doing and, and to help you. 
So if you would, will you please stand and let's either sing together or if you need to go and pray, go and pray. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.